0: Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Have you ever thought that you had faith, you knew you had faith, but then you realized it wasn't enough? It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. But you have faith for something and just nothing seems to be happening or something happens, but it's not what you were having faith for to happen. Yeah. Okay. So let's dig a a little and, uh, find out what we need in addition to faith. So Hebrews 11, one through three in the voice version, we, we know that, uh, you know, in the King James Version, faith is the substance of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things hoped for. Evidence of evi- I don't have it. On, I don't have it on my screen. Hope is the evidence of things not seen and the substance of things hoped for. One of those. Anyway. So I'm gonna read it from the voice this morning. Faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. It was by faith that our forebears or forefathers were approved. Through faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Everything we now see was fashioned from that which is invisible. Okay, so that says 38 minutes. Now, I know I haven't been preaching 38 minutes. Did y'all start that clock whenever I was talking about hunting season? Because you got to give me, I think you need to give me like, 15 more minutes, or I'm just going to ignore the clock. Let's just do that. I'll just ignore the clock. So, most of us are familiar with the 11th chapter of Hebrews. You've probably heard it called, the, you know, like I said, the Hall of Faith or the Hall of, of Heroes of Faith. Uh, we've heard it called different things, but it's a list of several people in the Bible who uh, had amazing testimonies. They have amazing testimonies because they had faith, they believed in God, and these things happened in their lives. And, you know, when we read these stories, these stories about, you know, Noah and the ark and Uh, Moses and the children of Israel and you know Sarah getting pregnant at 90 years old. I mean sometimes I think we we live in such an entertainment world that we have a tendency to look at the Bible as I won't say fiction but like it's far off. Like it's something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago and You know, I just don't know if the Lord would part the Red Sea today. Well, if he needed to, he would. Okay? So, don't ever think that just because you read it in the Bible, that that biblical kind of faith, that biblical stories kind of faith can't happen today. Uh, In verse 6 of that same chapter, But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, and Peter tells us in the book of Acts that God does not show favoritism. So, which in turn reveals that these historical references or promises that God can do and will do again. These chronicles of faith reveal God's heart toward us. And toward them, who not only had faith, but they trusted God. These are testimonies we can rely on and refer to when we are discouraged in our own walk of faith. Throughout the chapter, you'll see it, I think, three times. It says, they obtained a good testimony. They obtained a good testimony. Do you understand? They built testimonies through their experiences with God. Okay, everyone, say I'm building my testimony. <laughs> Throughout my life, I've heard testimonies from my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. I, you've heard me say before, probably that I'm very blessed. I come from a, a, a family culture of faith for generations, and um, I've been spending so much time with my mom lately, and I love to get her talking about the good old days and the stories, uh, the stories, the stories, the testimonies. And um, she told me one the other day that if I had heard it, I forgot it, which, you know, I'm over 60, so it's allowed. But anyway, she told me this story. And every time she tells me stories, it builds my faith and renews my hope. Well, this one story I just wanted to share with you. So, I grew up in Hartburg. Does anybody know where Hartburg is? Yeah. It's a suburb of Deweyville. <laughs> and if you don't know where Deweyville is, it's like right before you cross over the Sabine River into Louisiana on Highway 12. So that's where it's at. My grandparents, well, my parents grew up there, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather owned a sawmill. He owned a general store. He owned a blacksmith shop. Uh, he owned a ice—whatever they did when they delivered ice, what the whatever they call that—an ice house. And he was just a real entrepreneur. And he was—he was one of the mo, the major um, sources of employer or employment in Hartburg in the 1940s and 50s. <clears throat> And so, anyway, I'm just trying to paint a picture here, okay? So, in the, in the, it looked a lot better then, too, but okay. So, and it's right by a railroad track, of course. So, he has this sawmill. He, he employed a lot of the people. And um, then down the road from the sawmill is a place called Oak Grove Tabernacle, Oak Grove Tabernacle was built in, I think it was 1939. My great-great-grandparents helped build that church, and it started with kerosene lanterns and all of that, okay? So uh, my parents... uh, Uh, Went to church there. My mom did. Um, And they got married there. My parents got married there. They ended up pastoring there later on. So we have a rich heritage at Oak Grove Tabernacle. Well, in Oak Grove Tabernacle in the 40s and 50s was a group of women. And they knew how to pray. So this was my great-grandma Joyner, my grandma, which we called Mimi. And you got to hear some of these names. Sister Ida Mae. Sister Orame, Sister Jewel, Sister Plenty, Sister Plenty's husband was named Brother Charlie. And Brother Charlie had one arm. And I think he lost that arm in a logging accident. I'm 99.9% sure. So he only had one good arm left, obviously. So he got hurt. Working again, and he busted his arm. I can't even describe it. It was it was like the arm, the the bone was just dislocated. His arm was all twisted. He really needed to go to a hospital. He said, "I don't want to go to a hospital. I want you take me to that church and that group of women. Pray for me." And that's what the, everybody in the community. A lot of people did that. Then I could I, t- I got a lot of stories, but I'm, I'm, this is the one I chose to tell. And so. I think it was one of my other uncles who took him down to the church. And my mom was a little girl and she was under the pews or sitting in the pews. And so she saw all this. They laid hands on him, anointed him with oil and they prayed and touched heaven for him. And they watched his arm pop back in place like a creative miracle. He had a new arm, never had to go to the doctor. So that's the kind of stories I grew up Hearing, God, God does things. God heals. He does miracles. And those testimonies in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, those testimonies of our heroes of faith and the testimonies of our forefathers, um, they were as much for us as they were for them, these stories that are passed down through the generations. God uses trials to build our faith and grow us in our trust. I read once, when you think God isn't listening or isn't even there, remember the teacher is always quiet during the test. Do you remember? Okay, so I was a nerd in school. I studied and, you know, all the things, brought five, six books they don't have to do that now. There's something not fair about that. They use iPads, and we had to have all these books. So I built muscles just bringing those books home. But anyway, so I studied, and I studied, and I studied. And so, you know, it comes test time. But before test time, you're in the classroom, and that's the time when you get to raise your hand and ask questions. The teacher calls you up to the chalkboard and gets you to, you know, f- uh, finish an algebra um equation and um all the things you get to ask questions the teacher tells you the answers helps you learn puts it into you puts it into your mind encourages you to commit it to memory then the day the test comes well when the test comes everybody's quiet you're not allowed to you're not allowed to talk you're not allowed to, you really are even scared to, like, look over at your neighbor because they might think you're cheating, or at least, I mean, I was like that. And uh, now, pastor's story about taking tests, completely different. But this serves my purposes. So, um, and then, so, you know, you're, you're, you're trying, you know, and I always prayed before every test. Lord, please help me remember everything I studied. Help me to make an A on this test and all of, all of the things. So, and then the teacher would walk around the room. You know, you've seen it on TV, on movies and shows. They walk around the desks and they watch and they make sure that you're not looking at your neighbor's paper. They make sure you're not not, um, cheating and you have a certain amount of time and she's very quiet or he is very quiet during that time. And then the test is over and you have, to turn in the, you have to turn in your test and then they evaluate whether you really knew what you thought you knew or not. God is like that so many times during tests and trials. When it's quiet and you think he's not there, just remind yourself, it's test time. He's there, he's watching. He knows exactly what's going on and He is training you for a victorious life. You know, a victorious life doesn't just happen when you have the victory. A victorious life happens when you're moving toward victory. Okay? Having an overcoming attitude has more teeth when times are tough and you're living by faith than it does when everything is going great. Listen to this. It's my faith that causes me to prosper, not my prosperity that causes me to have faith. Okay? It's my faith that causes me to prosper, not my prosperity that causes me to have faith. Everyone say, I'm building my testimony. We have faith in the truth. Now listen carefully. Pastor has said something similar to this before in the past. We have faith in the truth despite what is true. We have faith in what we can't see, despite what we can see. For example, Pastor puts it like this. It may be true that a person is sick, but the truth says, by his stripes I am healed. You understand? Our natural process is progressive. We move from doubt to faith and then trust. Um, I ask uh, Pastor Seth, to find a chair for me uh, that I want to use as an illustration this morning. I had like three or four illustrations. I cut some out. (laughs) He's going to bring it in. He's going to put it back here, and it's a chair I've never seen before, okay? I ask him to find a wooden chair that I have never seen before, so I don't even know what this chair looks like or if it's a one-man job or a two-man job to bring it out here, Is it out there? Is it behind me? Okay. Okay. So, this chair. I look at this chair and I'm like, hmm, can I sit in that chair? This is the process we go through, okay? So we start out, sometimes we start out with doubt. Like, I'm not so sure about that. But my experiences in the past tell me that more than likely I can sit in that chair and it'll hold me up. So I have faith that the chair will hold me up. But then you go deeper and trust causes you to sit in the chair, okay? That's the step that we leave out. We get stuck on faith just looking at the chair and we don't actually sit in the chair. Does that make sense? Everybody got it? Okay, so just pretend that this is an all-wooden chair, okay? Just pretend. Okay, so this is what I really want you to hear. So of course, this chair is meant to be meant to sit in. It's meant for me to sit in it. I have trust so, so let's pretend that it falls out from under me. It, it's wooden and it, all, it busts out all out from under me and it's all on the floor in splinters. What do you do then? Because that happens sometimes. We have faith for something, we sit on it, we accept it, and then things fall out from under us. What do you do when that happens? You had faith. But your trust needs to go deeper than just trusting God that I can sit in this chair. I'm going to trust God whether this chair holds me up or not. I'm going to trust God even if it falls into wood, a pile of wood on the floor. Because I know he knows what's best for me. He knows that I might not need a chair. I may need wood because my electricity's going out and I need a fire to keep me warm and I need to be able to cook, okay? So, I thought I needed a chair. Well, I can sit on the ground. I don't have to have a chair. But I have to have warmth and food, okay? So, you have faith. Trust causes you to act. And your action results in what you thought it was going to look like and sometimes not what you thought it was going to look like. But you trust anyway. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. The Word tells us in James, faith without works is dead. Say it with me. I'm building my testimony. Faith is to have a daily dependence on God. He is my source. Trust is to take action toward your promise no matter what things look like. Daily dependence on God. You know, the world tells us every day, be independent. Be an independent thinker. Be an independent business owner. Be an independent contractor. Be an independent woman. You know, women nowadays, we're independent. Our nation was built on Independence. There's nothing wrong with any of those unless you allow yourself to become so independently minded that your trust is in your own ability to make things happen instead of completely trusting in God's ability to make things happen in and through you. Keep your heads on straight. Okay, so I remember, and I think pastors told this story here, um, and I have a a couple more stories that I'm going to tell. i just... Felt like that they were good examples and makes it more personal. But so when we first started our ministry at the age of 19, we sold everything and bought a car. Since we sold everything, we could afford to get a decent car. So we had a Pontiac Bonneville, brown, velvet seats. Yeah. I don't know if that was eight-track or cassette, but it was somewhere around there. But we had it, it was loaded. But that's all we had. We had that, two meetings booked, and a few clothes, and my sewing machine in the trunk. Yeah, I sewed back then. I used to make all my clothes, believe it or not. So he had preached a few revival meetings there in that first year, and he was like, "Okay, I mean, you know, at 19, and you go into these all these churches to preach. I mean, that can be a little intimidating, you know." And so after a few of them, he was like, okay, I got the hang of this. I can do this. I got this. I can do this. And so he went behind the podium that night to preach, and he physically felt Holy Spirit walk off the stage and say, well, here you go. You can do it. Go ahead. Needless to say, there was a lot of repentance that went on after that, and if we didn't learn anything else during those early years, we learned to utterly depend on God for everything, no matter what things look like. When we are independent from God, we get the glory. When we are dependent on God, he gets the glory. Our lives will bring glory to whomever is Lord over our lives. So more recently, another story of faith. This is kind of a a broken chair story. So we moved here and um, I'm not telling stories in chronological order. So that was throwing me for a second. So anyway, we moved here and there wasn't a whole lot to choose from for houses. And so um, we chose one. It's a nice house. We were blessed to find it. Uh, it was in foreclosure. We got a good price, but it's in a neighborhood where the houses are right on top of each other. And we had had a house; all the other houses we had had big yards, big backyards, you know, and you could sit on the back porch and have you know serenity, you know, while you meditated upon the Word of God to prepare to preach. <laughs> and so we wanted that again. And this house does not have that. It has a backyard about maybe. I don't know. Maybe the length of that banister to the wall and to the house, it's maybe 10 feet. Little. Little backyard. So, anyway, but we knew we'd we'd buy it. And we thought, well, we'll just sell it later on after we're here for a while and when we can find what we really want. So, about the time Jude was born... um, he was probably a, maybe two. We thought, you know, we really need a bigger house. And then Amy announced that she was going to have a baby. And so we were like, we really need Because we need a backyard for our grandkids. There we go, using our grandkids for an excuse. But we need a big backyard for our grandkids. So we put the house up for sale. Now, mind you, in our history, every time we put a house up for sale, it sold within two weeks. Every single time but it was when we were going to another assignment that God was sending us, okay? So we put this house up for sale and we thought, no problem, this house will sell because it's a great house, it's in a great neighborhood. Nothing, I think we showed it once. Do you know what a pain it is to show a house? Yes. Such a pain. So we did that for a year and nothing happened. And so we've learned by now, okay, God must have other plans. Okay, we're, we're good. So then we get Kate. And then we get Ruby. And then we get Michael Lewis and Colt. So we have six grandkids now. And we're like, okay, God, we really need a big backyard. We put the house up for sale again. It doesn't sell for a year. Doesn't sell. I don't even think it showed once that time. Okay, so we're, we're like, okay, Lord, I know, I, I believe you that this house can sell. And you've always sent buyers within two weeks. What's the problem? I mean, it, like, is there, it, search me, oh God, is there any sin? You know, like, what do we need to do different, you know, than what we're doing already? So it didn't sell. And, you know, we were kind of bummed. But like I said, Even though it's hard and things don't turn out the way you think they're going to turn out, you trust God because he knows what's best for you. Even though I can't see how a little bitty backyard is best for me with six grandkids, God sees what's ahead. Then the hurricane started and the floods came. Harvey, Imelda, Ike, all those hurricanes. And between those storms, just about every area in Southeast Texas, that was gonna get flooded, have been flooded. Okay? We didn't flood. It didn't even come, I mean, it got in the streets, but it didn't even come, come in my yard. So the Lord said, This is why your house has not sold. Because the places that we were looking to buy a house flooded, they all flooded. So now when we go to put our house up for sale and to look for another house, we know all the places that flooded and didn't flood. The chair broke. The chair broke. Because God knew that more than a a new house with a big backyard, we needed a house that wouldn't flood so that we could do what we do here for flood relief and for the community. Amen? Amen? It doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like, but you trust him anyway. Everyone say, I'm building my testimony. Our focus so much of the time gets on our circumstances. When our circumstances don't mean too much to God, what means a lot to God is you and your relationship with him. And whether you're growing or not and what you're doing for the kingdom, that's what matters. It's not your circumstances. But we get like, our circumstances get like right here and we just can't see past them. And so it hinders our faith. It hinders our trust. God's goal is to change you, not your circumstances. Sometimes. Trust means even if the chair doesn't hold me up when I sit in it, I know God is in control no matter what things look like. The word does not say, I can do all things. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, all these years in your life, in our life, you can look back on your life when You know, you have those trials and those tribulations and those times that you just don't understand. Well, you're building, it's like you're in a spiritual gym and you're building spiritual muscles. And the Lord starts you out like with tiny dumbbell, you know. Like I have a little two-pound one that I do at home. I don't, I mean, they say it's supposed to help. I'm not sure it does, but anyway. So you start out little and then you go five pounds. Bigger trial, 10 pounds bigger trial, and sooner or later, you start picking up those big, you know, the big, what do you call them? Barbells? Dumbbells. 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 Why do they call them dumbbells? Anyway, so life is like that. If you will realize every time you're going through something, you're building spiritual muscles because you're growing. It's growing pains, People think because you're a Christian, you're living this overcomer life. Overcomer, over, an overcomer's life is not free from turmoil. An overcomer's life is because they overcome the turmoil right. through faith and trust in God. Yeah. So I have one more story to tell. This one's a really good one. So... Anybody know where Dumas, Texas is? Yes. Do you? Well, probably we were going to New Mexico when we were going through there. I was trying to remember if it was New Mexico or Colorado or Arizona. But anyway, we were, we were uh, still evangelizing. Um, I, Justin was a baby. I was pregnant with Amy. Are y'all with me or am I losing you with these stories? You good? Okay, because it's only 1130. So. Okay, this is a good story though. It's a good one. So, you know, and we've always been, always, even before I met my husband, I've always been, like, if God said, do something, I did it. And I asked questions later. I just, I don't know, I got saved when I was 10 and I was around this, all this, being miracles all my life and all these stories. And my, the Lord just had faith. I'm not saying that I never doubt, but I'm just saying that I had a strong foundation so we were it was winter time. I think it was the winter of nineteen eighty three, because Justin was a baby. I was pregnant with Amy. So it must have been like January or February of 1983. And it's nighttime. I have to paint a picture for you here. And there's miles and miles of Texas all around us. Okay. No stars in the sky no other cars and a snowstorm yeah we're not real experienced with snow at this point so no cars no lights no anything and our car that was our second pontiac bonneville it was like a jade green and it had it had velvet seats too so we were in that but it was a diesel engine huh we bought a diesel engine, thinking that that would be save us money. but anybody who knows anything about diesel engines knows that diesel engines and freezing temperatures don 't go together so we 're thinking about we 're praying God, help our diesel engine, help us not to run out of gas, uh, get us to the next town i mean you know we 're just praying speaking in tongues, everything and Pastor had to go really, really slow because we were kind of starting to fill the car. So he slowed down. He cracked his door, and he saw that we were driving on about this much ice. And there was snow just piled up on the other, each side of us. The only light we saw was way over yonder and what we now know to be a snowplow, probably. So we drive, and we drive, and we're praying, and we're speaking in tongues, and then we finally start to see some lights ahead so we're like, oh, thank God. Thank you, Jesus. You got us to this town. So we get to this. Welcome to Dumas. We get to that town, and there's a sheriff or a deputy or some kind of lawman standing with his hands on his hips to the entrance to that city, stopped us. Like he wasn't going to let us in. And I'm like, oh, Lord, give us favor, give us favor, give us favor with whoever this is. Give us favor. So he comes around to Randy's window, and he says, what in the world are you doing out on this highway? This highway is closed. You are not allowed to be out on this highway. And we're like, we didn't didn't know it was closed. I mean, you know, you get out on a highway, they close it behind you. How do you know? And there was nowhere to turn off the highway. It was just a straight shot. We had to go to Dumas, Texas. So it was like, okay. So he says, well, you're here now. You can't leave. So here we are. I'm pregnant. Justin's a baby in a diesel engine car. No money. All we had for credit card was like a Exxon Mobil, Texaco. I think it was Texaco back then. Credit card for gas and a check. We had our checkbook. 1983. So, we pull into this little, little bitty town, but it was packed with semi-trucks. Everywhere, semi-trucks. One hotel, one restaurant across the street that was open. So, I told Randy, I said, it's going to be a miracle if they have a room. So, he goes in, talks to the hotel manager, and she says, sir, there are no rooms at the end. There are no rooms. And he told her, he said, ma'am, he said, I have a pregnant wife. I have a baby out in the car. I have no money. I have a check. We need food, and we need a place to stay. How can you help us? She said, give me a minute. I'll talk to a couple of these truckers and get them to bunk up and give y'all a room. So she did. She called some of those truck drivers, and they bunked up. She said, give me time to clean the room and get it ready for you. Why don't you go across the street and get some food for your family? And he said, well, ma'am, did you hear me? I don't have any money. I have a check. So he wrote a check for the room, and he wrote it, because we only had one check, okay? <laughs> so, so he wrote the check for the amount of the room and over the amount, about $20. So she gave him $20 cash back. We didn't have ATMs. He walked across the street, got us some food, brought us back, we got a hotel room. That trip did not look like what we thought it was gonna look like, but it's a story that I have to tell my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids about how God provides when there seems to be no way. I have a picture the next morning of me standing beside our diesel um, car Uh, holding Justin pregnant with, I mean, the car was covered in snow. I mean, it was like, just you couldn't really know. You wouldn't know the car was there unless you were me and you took the picture and you knew that the car was there. So God provided. And I have story after story after story I can tell you of things like that that God has done in our lives. He has been so, so faithful but we were building our testimony. And with each one of those experiences, we would get stronger and stronger and stronger because he knew in 1991, we were going to be going to Austin, Texas to start a church with a $100 bill in our pocket and nowhere to live. And we needed to be strong for that. So through the years... He built, he built our muscles. Sometimes I felt like, felt like we were in football calisthenics. Yes, I know what football calisthenics are. <laughs> in high school, we had a football coach for the girls' PE coach. And he had us doing football calisthenics. And you know that one where they run backwards like this? We were doing that one day. And I tripped, and I fell Caught myself with both my arms, sprained one arm, broke the other. So, yeah, I know what football calisthenics are. I may not be good at them, but I know what they are. But when God called us to Texas, things got serious. It was as if Dumas, Texas wasn't serious enough. Here we are in Austin, Texas on a sunny day, staying with friends of friends to look for a place to live. We're driving around Austin and we're like, we're kind of starting to get excited. Austin's a pretty place, you know, it's awesome. Back then it was beautiful. And the Lord had told us we were gonna be in North Austin and around the Round Rock area. So that's the area that we were looking at. We had this apartment brochure. We were going down the list and we stopped at apartments and toured one. And then we went to another one, toured that one. And we thought we liked that one. So we went to the office and sat down with the manager and the manager handed us a rental application. Okay, so we're in our 30s, okay? We have two kids in elementary school. We know these things. But God said, go to Austin. We went to Austin, and we just was gonna figure it out as we went. So we got back in the car and looked at each other, dumbfounded, like, oh, they expect us to have jobs. (laughs) They expect us to have money. They expect us to have a way to pay the rent. So we're like, what are we gonna do now? anywhere we go, this is what they're going to expect. So we're kind of bombed at this point. So we start to head back to the friends of the friend's house. And I'm looking at the, the list and pastor's tired. He's ready to go home. He's ready to like, we'll just, we'll figure it out. and We'll start again tomorrow. And I see this one more place and it just pops out at me. And I look over at him. And I said, I really feel like God wants us to to stop at this one more place. I'm tired, we'll, we'll go look at it tomorrow. I said, no, I really feel like that we're supposed to stop now. Look, we, can, we, we don't have to look at it today, we can look at it tomorrow. So, I played the God card and the pitiful face and, and the fact that it was on our way to the friends of the friend's house. And he gave in. So we, we pulled in, the manager gets out, she gets in her car, you know, we tell her we're looking for a place, she drives us around the block, we follow her in our car, we take a tour, it was like this little townhouse duplex, like maybe, it was maybe eight or nine hundred square feet, it a bitty, but it was two stories. Had three bedrooms, had what we needed. So we get back in the car, follow her back to the office, and I look at my husband and say, okay, well, what are we going to tell her? When she gives, gives us the application because it was really more affordable than anything that we had looked at so far and he said you know what he said god told us to come this is his problem it's not mine i'm just going to tell her what we're here for so i said okay so we walk in she's sitting on her side of the desk we're sitting over here and he just begins ma'am I feel like I need to be honest with you and tell you before we even get started that we have no jobs, we have no money, (laughs) we only have pledges from two churches in the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God, it all adds up to be about $1,200 a month, which we're not getting yet because we don't live here yet because we've come here to start a church. Well, before he even got the word church out of his mouth, she's sitting behind her desk. She goes, you're kidding me. I have been praying for somebody to come here and start a church in this area. (laughs) I know it doesn't sound real, but it's true okay so she said just fill out the application we're like well what do we do for income she said just fill it out uh tell me who you rented from before we'll run a credit check and you know we'll just we'll see what happens but you know uh, it's pretty much going to be up to me and I you know well, let's just let's just see what happens and so we get back in the car and we just look at each other like wow did that just happen so we go back to the friends of the friend's house and we wait And we aren't really expecting a phone call until the next day. It got close to five o'clock. The phone rang. The manager said, look, I ran your credit check. I don't, it hasn't come back. I haven't heard back from the home office, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to make the decision and give you, give you the townhouse. So. We had a place to live when we went to Austin. Yeah. And these stories are just the tip of the iceberg for our lives. He'll do the same for you. Like Peter said, God does not prefer one over the other. We're not special. We're not. You guys look at us like, oh, y'all are the pastors. You're you're like in this other category of spiritualism over here. And God loves you more than he loves us. And so, of course, he's going to do those things for you. No, he will do the same thing for you. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like, but he will do it for you. He will come through if you have faith and then you take steps of faith and you walk toward, you walk into the promise, you walk into what he has told you to do, your obedience is rewarded, okay? Our testimonies are not just for us. Our testimonies are to share and encourage others to empower future overcomers. It's not all about you. It's about your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Yes. It's about you passing down the stories from your great-grandparents and your grandparents and, and your parents and building their faith. Stephen, would you come help me? Yeah, that's a joke now because that's what pastor says every Sunday. Stephen, come help me. Okay. And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right. Yes. Testimonies are important. Yes. Yes. Share your testimony. Yes. That can be some of the most effective tools that you have. You may, not, you may say, well, I don't really know how to witness. I don't know how to talk to people. Tell your story. Yes. Just tell your story. Yes. Tell what God did in your life. I began by asking, have you ever thought you had faith only to realize just having faith was not enough? So by now, I hope you see that faith is incomplete without acts of trust. Faith, the Lord gave me this. It sounds like I read it in a book, but he gave it to me. I love it. Faith throws the ball in God's court, but like a good sports coach, he throws it back as if to say, Let's try that again and add some trust. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.